Welcome to Do I Need My Racket podcast brought to you by In Her Name Foundation. I am Cindy Swain, your host, and this is episode number five, To Alaska and Back. These ocean, lake, river, and harbor sounds, or boat sounds, are created by water. And these sounds can mean different things to different people. We've all heard these sounds, sounds of water, somewhere, somehow. They could mean sounds of business or enterprise, such as fishing or boating. These sounds could mean transportation, like a ferry going from island to island, or recreation, a kayak, canoe, or swimming. They could mean shipping, supply chain, industry, a barge passing by a lighthouse where the horn cautions, slow down, be careful, not so close. Maybe these sounds help you relax or induce sleep. Or do they mean the one final ride for a fisherman or sailor, a life lost trying to sustain lives, that final sound of the horn and splash of the water? All of us have heard these sounds in some way. We drink water. We bathe in it. We fight over it. We measure it inch by inch, drop by drop, and we rejoice in it. And whether we realize it or not, we're all connected by water. The human body is 60% water, and 71% of the earth is covered by water. It is the one thing we all have in common with each other beyond race, gender, culture, or class, and we have to have it to survive. Water is powerful, peaceful, dangerous, and beautiful. Water is complicated, yet simple. Well, here in Michigan, we are surrounded by water, by the Great Lakes, and called a peninsula state. We are home to one of the largest bodies of fresh water in the entire world. In 2002, when Stephanie Smiley graduated from Eastern Michigan University after being crowned an All-American basketball player her senior year, moved 4,000 miles away to teach and coach in Metlakatla, Alaska, an island, a place surrounded by water a place nothing like anything she had ever experienced, a place whose water could mean life or death, a place where lives were lost by trying to sustain life by fishing and diving, 
a place where fishing and basketball were equally celebrated because it brought the Metlakatla community together. That community would meet on the high school basketball court to celebrate victories and also meet on that high school basketball court to celebrate a life lost. Tears of joy, tears of heartache, drop by drop, water. Metlakatla is the only federal Indian reservation in all of Alaska, and it rains 132 inches a year there. But that did not stop Stephanie. She embraced it. She brought with her her strength, grit, courage, and confidence. Stephanie will tell you her greatest accomplishments were not on the court or measured by wins, losses, or awards, but measured athlete by athlete, person by person, finding their voice and sharing their story, both good and bad, tears of joy, tears of heartache, water. She learned that when you listen to the storm, the water drop by drop, person by person off the court, then that athlete or person will listen to you on the court and out of the rain. Stephanie's story starts in Metlakatla, Alaska, and drop by drop, person by person, she taught, demonstrated strength, courage, confidence, and grit. Her Alaska stay ends in Kodiak, where she left a better person and those around her better people and a team, a basketball team, that went on to win a state championship. Stephanie's story is not over, but really just beginning. She went to Alaska and back and continues today listening, teaching, drop by drop, water. Well, today my guest for this podcast is Stephanie Smiley. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. I am really glad that you're here with me this afternoon. Um, Stephanie, I... You have a really interesting background in places that you've worked and traveled, but let's start with um, where you grew up, where you went to high school, and Mm -hmm. what sports you played. Okay, so I was born and raised in the Lansing area. and um, Lansing, Michigan. Yep, Lansing, Michigan. Grew up in Holt, Michigan, just south of Lansing. Graduated from there um, in 1998 from Holt High School. Yeah. And what sports did you play in high school? So I played basketball and softball. Just those two? Yep. All right. Yeah. And then you went on from Holt High School and played in college. Where did you play and what sport did you choose to play in college? So I played basketball at Eastern Michigan University. And that is in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is, is to the east and south of where you grew up. Yes. But not far. No. Um, you had a really successful college career Thank at you. Eastern Michigan, in you know, from what I've read, and in talking to you. So, tell us a little bit about that basketball experience. Um, so, coming out of high school, I wanted nothing more than to to play sports in college, whether that was softball or, or basketball. And it turned out that basketball was my opportunity. Um, and so, actually, the coach who offered me a scholarship at Eastern Michigan ended up. Um, leaving there the summer before I got there. And Susie Merchant was my coach, actually. Her first year was my freshman year at Eastern. So Okay, and she coaches now at Michigan State University. Yes, yep. And so um, to be 
perfectly honest, Eastern Michigan, if I had other opportunities, I probably wouldn't have gone there. I believe everything happens for a reason, but, um, and I think Susie can attest to this too, but the, I think that the, 12 or 13 seasons leading into our first year at Eastern, they had zero winning seasons. I think they only won like one or two games the season before our first year. Wow. Um, I think so. My, my recruiting visit was over Christmas. I was one of five people in the stands watching them play. And so and um, they were getting beat. And they I'm were, assuming. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, very thankful for the opportunity that I had. And it turned out to be great. It was a great experience. Um, playing for Coach Merchant was wonderful. Um, I learned a lot from her. And, um, you know, as a team, we experienced a lot of success there, too. Um, so when you when you went to Eastern mm-hmm. from a losing team, did your record, your record improved mm-hmm. under Merchant while you yeah. were there? Yes. And then while you were there. Tell us about that. Yeah. So we had, I mean, four winning seasons the four years I was there. And she went on to do other things after I left, too. Um, never won a MAC championship, but um, definitely t- turned the program around. Yeah. And you tell us about some uh, awards that you got while you were at Eastern. Oh, geez. Your, fir- your freshman year. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up being freshman of the year. For the MAC, the, the Michigan, Mac. Ath- the Mid-America Mich- Conference. Yep. yep. Which includes, uh, let's see. A few different teams now. It's yeah. Been a, it's been a number of years since then, but uh, Central, Western, um, Central Ohio Michigan University, what? Miami of Ohio, yeah. Marshall, Oh, uh, Toledo, Toledo, Northern Akron, Illinois, yep. Kent State, Bowling Green, Ball State, yep. Kind of, it's a Division One school, but mm-hmm. kind of what they call a Tier Two yep. of Division One school, smaller but more mm-hmm. regionally located yep. in Michigan and Ohio. Yep. Yeah. Um, so then, after your freshman year, um, you also got some other accolades. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I I got some All Conference honors in my sophomore year. I think second team, and then junior and senior year first team. Um, and then I ended up being an All-American by the end of, by the time but I was you were finished. Were yeah. senior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so then you graduate from Eastern Michigan University mm-hmm. in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And then you move to where? And so I was finishing my student teaching in the middle of the year. And so I remember sitting in the office of my supervising teacher looking at jobs. I was It was like midway through the semester. And I found a job in Metlakatla, Alaska that was open mid-year and one in Hawaii somewhere too. <laughs> and so I don't know which one I'm uh, picking. <laughs> well, I, I didn't have a choice there. So the the one in Hawaii, so at the time, and I don't know if that's changed since then. So I was I was looking for a, a physical education job. And so to teach art and physical education in Hawaii, you have to be a resident, I guess. And oh, so okay. So I remember applying for this job in Metlakatla, Alaska, and the principal calling me and pretty much talking to me like I had the job, like, <laughs> we'll, we'll fly you up, we'll pay for your trip out here, we'll move your stuff, we have a place waiting for you kind of in, thing. In the first conversation <laughs> yeah, that you're having. Pretty much. <laughs> and I was young and naive, obviously, and, you know, not not having a real broad global view of things and, and what, you know, what kind of places I, I could have been um, moving to very, it was, it was a rural island, but it could have been much more rural in other places in Alaska. So, yeah, well, Metlakatla, mm-hmm. uh, I looked it up, is in that kind of 
part of Alaska that kind of drips down towards the United States, yep. just directly west of British Columbia. Yes. And it's an island, and it is uh, pretty isolated. It is, yeah. It's it, southernmost town in in, um, in southeast Alaska. Um, and so, yeah, it was about a, a an hour and a half ferry ride or like a 15-minute float plane ride to get to Ketchikan, which is the, the next biggest city. Yeah. Um, so what really fascinates me about, you know, uh, your story is that you were a coach there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in talking to you, some of the things you had to do to get to competitions just is mind boggling. And um, so just tell us a little bit about how you, you went there to teach mm-hmm. art and physical education. Yep. And then did you go there specifically to coach or was that just, you just were going to do that once you got there? So, you know, I, I've always been involved in athletics, and when I got there, um, some of my teaching friends, like one, uh, Trevor Walker, he was the girls' basketball coach, and so right when I got there, you know, with my background, he's like, well, we need a female chaperone, and although I have an assistant, if you want to hang out and practices with us and stuff, I'm not going to stop you from coming and helping and traveling with us and things like that, so that's kind of how I got started Mm -hmm. um, coaching, so... Yeah, and you know, I looked up Metlakatla High School, and the enrollment is about seventy kids, mm-hmm. and the town itself is about twelve hundred. Yep. So, what exactly was there to do besides basketball and teaching when you were in Metlakatla? Um, well, if you were afraid of you know the rain and things like going out in the rain, not much. <laughs> I mean, you really just had to kind of. I mean, it was you get ten feet of rain a year there, so if you didn't go out, you weren't gonna you were gonna be sitting in your apartment either, watching TV or, you know, whatever. But so, you know, you you learned to love the rain. You you bought rain gear so mm-hmm. that you could go out and hike and camp and fish and and things like that. So some stuff like fishing, I'd never really done in my life. So. Mm-hmm. Um, got to know some new hobbies and things like that. Um, but I also kind of dove headfirst into coaching. And that, I mean, given, and I'm sure we'll get into it, given just what that entails, I mean, you're you're traveling a lot. Yeah, so so you eventually get into coaching, yep. and you're coaching girls basketball. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is just something that people need to know, what other parts of the country, what other kids have to go through um, that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Most of us... You get on a bus yeah, in maybe an hour ride, half hour ride, or we yeah. carpool with parents in an hour, mm-hmm. two hours away. But how did you guys have to get to your games and competitions? What was the, your first mode of transportation? Well, first mode of transportation, and, you know, you always went with the cheapest first, so that would be by boat. Um, and so... In the wintertime there, our our first ferry we'd have to get on is the one off-island. And that that traveled once off-island and back once a day. During the winter, um, during, during basketball winter, season. Yep, five five days out of the week. And how, how long of a travel was that just on the ferry? To um, get, you would get to catch a Just can. to get to catch a can, an hour and a half. On a boat. Yeah, and if you had to leave on days it wasn't running, then you hoped the weather was good enough to get out on a float plane and, and take that to catch a can. So. And then from catch a can... You still, you might have played games in Ketchikan, but you still had other places to go. So what would you do from there? So Ketchikan was a bigger school than we were. So we didn't play many of our games in Ketchikan. We would do like more of the regional basketball tournaments um, or cross country or the the bigger tournaments. But we were going to communities like Wrangell, Petersburg, Sitka, Juneau, Haynes, 
Um, Haynes is the furthest north we had to go. It's kind of um, back on the mainland. Um, at, and how would you get there? And so you'd either have to hop on another ferry. Um, given all the stops you would have to make, sometimes it's up to a 36-hour ferry to get to where you needed to go. Oh, my goodness. Or um, an Alaska Airlines flight. Yeah, and the kids, I guess they're just assuming that that's just what they have to do. So oh, yeah. they, I, I can't imagine... You know, I coach high school tennis, walking to the mm-hmm. girls and go, all right, Tim, you know, we got a 36-hour ferry ride <laughs> to get to Portland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but these kids just knew that's what they had to do. Oh, yeah. They don't know anything different. And so they had it down to a T. I mean, some of them were like, do you have your, your sleeping pad and your, your um, sleeping bag? Because you were sleeping on a ferry. They didn't get us rooms or anything on these ferries. So mm-hmm. you were just sleeping on a floor. When you get to your destination... You weren't just playing one game and coming home because you're trying to get the biggest bang for your buck. So you'd get there on a Thursday or Friday, play a game, sleep on the floor. Next day, get up, play another game, sleep on the floor, or take off. Um, sometimes you'd try to, um, depending on where you were um, traveling, if there's a close neighboring city, maybe you pick up another game while you're in mm-hmm. the area kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of sleeping on school floors, church floors, things like that. Yeah, so then how what would be the longest time you you'd have to maybe leave on a Wednesday or Thursday? Sometimes, yeah. And then come back when? Sometimes Sunday or Monday. Sunday or Monday. Yeah. And what did the kids do about their schoolwork? Uh, you just it's kind of like being absent. If you were out sick, you'd have to just make sure ahead of time you were working with your teachers when you knew you were going to be out and we'd have study time. And I bet the teachers were just kind of prepared for that. Yeah. They just knew and they would give mm-hmm. kids their assignments and, and uh, that sort of thing. So yes. what, were they able to do anything online? Did they have access to internet where they could yeah. work on computers? I mean, yep. some of those places you kind of wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when we were in, in housed out in schools and churches and things like that, we had internet and we could, you know, the kids could work online and stuff like that. Um and so it wasn't a hardship too much that way. It's just, you know, nothing's as great as a teacher in front of you, te- you know, teaching you. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about Metlakatla. Now, I, mm-hmm. I've read up on it, but it was one of the only federally recognized Indian reservations in mm-hmm. the state of Alaska. Yes, correct. correct. So, you, you know, you move in as someone from Michigan, mm-hmm. don't know anything, yeah. to Metlakatla mm-hmm. in the middle of an Indian reservation. How did that go? Um, I was very young and naive. I mean, it's a very small place. And as I got to know, um, Metlakatla and live there, um, you, you quickly learn that if you saw somebody you didn't know, it was a surprise to you. And so I remember one of the first few days I was walking around, I had people stop me and say, oh, you must be the new teacher or, you know, the person at the post office called me by name. I'm like, wait a second, I don't think I even gave you my name. How do you know who I am? It was very bizarre and and like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Um, so they just really put their arms around you and welcomed you yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's always in coaching, there's obstacles that keep kids from playing, you know, whether it be grades or there might be some stuff going on at home. Mm-hmm. What, what were some of the things, the obstacles or barriers that, that, that kids had to overcome to get to the basketball court or the volleyball court or where they needed to be? Yeah. So, you know, these kids had a lot, I mean, poverty was a big issue there. Um, you know, 
at, at times and with some of the, the students, drug and alcohol abuse with the families and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of death in the community. I know you and I talked a little bit yeah. about before that. Um, yeah, I just want to put this side note in. Um, Stephanie recommended watching this documentary that talks about uh, Metla Catla and a basketball state championship that really illustrates uh, life on that island, and it's called Alaska Nets. That's Alaska N-E-T-S. If you get a chance to watch that, I'd highly recommend it because it really gives you more of an insight of what these young people have to go through on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. one of the major industries or the major industry is fishing. Mm-hmm. And we talked earlier about fishing where uh, what they were fishing for, like salmon, herring, halibut, isn't sustaining. And so some of these young people now dive mm-hmm. like up to 100 yes. feet mm-hmm. in Alaska, dark, cold yes. Alaska waters. And it's that's very dangerous work. And they have yes. lost people in the community. And so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that because you experienced that yourself. They had mm-hmm. lost someone in the community and what happened? Um, so in the first month I was there or so, and I, I, I worked at different buildings in, in the school district. So I was coming up to the high school to teach some of my high school classes and the whole school was in the gym. And I was kind of like, well, what's, what's happening right now? Why aren't you guys in class? Like, why are we all congregating here? And so there was a, a death in the community that I found out about after that. Um, and so that was kind of kind of a, a wake up call to me and, and kind of a different close knit, how a close, very close knit community handles death and things mm-hmm. like that. And they all kind of come together and, um, you know, just try to comfort each other and things like that during that time. Cause there's no one, it, it wouldn't affect Cause everybody in that community. Yeah. 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 And the documentary, it, you know, goes through a few of those same situations and mm-hmm. how they come together and what they do is, is really kind of ideally what you would want a community to do, even yes. though it's really painful to mm-hmm. lose someone. Yes. Um, but so, so you're dealing with all those issues, mm-hmm. but yet you still get a pretty good basketball team. Yes. <laughs> so talk about, talk about the basketball girls you coach, talk about the team, what, what you you know, what you did and what so, you accomplished. Yeah. So, so the first year I took over as a basketball coach, I actually, was their volleyball coach first. So volleyball season came <laughs> and first. Had you ever played volleyball? I had never played volleyball <laughs> before. And so I don't know if that was a good or a bad thing. I think I've, I had already established, you know, my competence level as a coach with the girls because I had helped with the basketball team previous to that. But I have to tell you, it was a learning curve for volleyball. And I read a lot of books and watched videos. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, if nothing else, we'll be in shape for basketball. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was that was kind of interesting for for them to kind of be introduced to me as a head coach first, like that. Um, and so, just that learning curve, and then moving in into basketball season. Um, you know, that that's one thing I'm not coaching right now, and um, I coached. For a lot of the time, I was in Metlakatla and then later in Kodiak Island, um, and and I do miss it. It's yeah. a definitely a different um, relationship that you build with kids, for sure, when you're oh, a coach. Yeah. So Yeah, I can attest to that, too, because yeah. it is when you coach, um, mm-hmm. because you're with them in an activity that they really want to do, for yes. one. Yeah. So they're excited to mm-hmm. be there, and, and yes. they want to be there, and 
and you spend a lot of time together. Yes. You know, especially with you and all the travel. I mean, yes. you're like their, their surrogate parent. Yes, for uh, sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you would really develop quite a close community. So you were at MetLife Cattler for five years mm-hmm. and you coached basketball, volleyball, and track. It's track and field. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I was thinking, how did they get track and field in when it's literally monsooning every other day? Well, we actually didn't have a physical track there even. So, okay. I mean, we were using, I remember using a sidewalk for the long jump. Okay. Pit. We kind of built a pit at the end of a kind of a sidewalk. Was it a pool that they jumped into or what exactly? No, we filled it with sand. Okay. <laughs> so you just kind of had to make do with what you had. Right. Um, and so luckily we traveled a lot to communities that did, that did have yeah attract. the facilities and things like that. So um, yeah. So so then you were five years at Metlakatla mm-hmm. and then you moved on to Kodiak. Kodiak, yep. And tell us about that. So I started out as the JV coach um, in Kodiak and so kind of introduced myself to the students that way. Um, JV basketball? JV basketball, yep. Um, and I only coached basketball when I was in Kodiak. So the first year I was the JV coach. And so the, the last two years I was, I coached varsity. Um, and I, so by the end of my coaching career in Kodiak, um, so that was kind of a different, um, a lot of still travel on Alaska Airlines, or not Alaska Airlines so much, but another smaller um, commercial So you still had to fly out to, to fly. get to mm-hmm. where you needed to be, because Kodiak's an island as well. Yep, for sure. Um, and in that community, I didn't have to worry about finances too much in Metlakatla as far as travel and things like that. But in, in Kodiak, I had to a lot more. So we, we would get, so plane tickets were about $300 each just to get to Anchorage. And that wasn't like renting cars to get from Anchorage to where you had to go and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, so the school gave us roughly about 15 grand and then our booster club gave us about the same. And then I remember my last year there, I had to fundraise about 50 grand. 50 grand? And luckily, yeah. 50, you were talking yeah. $50,000. Right. You had to fundraise. Yeah. Just for travel. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so, and so we also, so we did have home games too. So in that community, a lot of times, like if we had a tournament or things like that, anything non-conference to to entice people to come there, mm-hmm. we had to also pay for, for their some travel of their travel to and get accommodations. Them. Yeah, because otherwise, most of the people on the mainland could just take a bus, you know. Somewhere. To yeah, why would they pay to come play? Yeah, us, and I know? think it just becomes a, a part of their life that that's just what's expected. You're going to do yeah. if you're going to play high school sports in that part of the country, right. in that part of Alaska. They call yeah. it the South, right? <laughs> which it, you know, it is the South of Alaska, but it's right. definitely not Southern temperatures for sure. Because I think Correct. I met Lakatla. The warmest it gets in August might be 60, 65, and it's mostly, you know, 30, 40s, Mm -hmm. cloudy and rain, because you get 10 feet of rain? 10 feet of rain, yeah. And Yeah, when I moved to Kodiak, I think they get, I want to say, like 75 inches or something like that, it felt like. 75 inches? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And and that seemed like a lot less, even though that's still a That's a lot of rain. Yeah. So um, luckily in, in Kodiak, I had a dear friend of mine who was very, like, her family's from Kodiak and things like that, and their family had a lot of businesses in Kodiak. She she pretty much did all my fundraising for me, so okay. I was able to focus a lot more on coaching and the kids. So Yeah, and then you got to the point where you were kind of wondering, all right, I, I've done what I feel like I need to do. Mm-hmm. I love it here, but I miss my family more. Yeah, for sure. 
though you had to make a decision. Yeah, I did. So, and that was, it was hard for a number of reasons. You know, my, my brothers were starting to have children and, you know, my mom went through, through some health issues while I was in Kodiak. And so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm so far away. And so I just felt like it was time for me um, to start thinking at least about moving back. And at the time I had a group of girls that would run through a wall for you. Like mm-hmm. just a great, we ended up getting fourth in the state my last year there. Um, and then that summer, Shane Clipfell, he's the head coach for Western Michigan women's basketball. He called me up. And so I think one of my AAU coaches, Ron Mott, had been ran into one of my parents and one of my parents mentioned something to Ron that I was thinking about moving back to Michigan and things like that. And so I think Ron took it upon himself, bless his heart, to, you know, call up Shane, who I played for at Eastern and and things like that and say, hey, she wants to come back and kind of put that no, in in Shane's ear. So he calls me out of the blue that just summer. out of the blue, yeah, and says, "Hey, I have this position on my staff at Western um, Michigan University, which yeah. is like another Mid American Conference school mm-hmm. that's yep. the same as Eastern Michigan." Correct. So yeah. you, what what positions did you hold there then? So he hired me as the director of women's basketball operations. So I I worked in that capacity for him for a year, and then I I moved up to the athletic department. Um, so for a short period of time, I was an academic advisor working with the athletes, and then they promoted me to assistant athletic director for academic services. Okay, so I'm just curious. So mm-hmm. you, you're in Alaska, mm-hmm. living in these remote areas, yes, which is a culture shock, yes, and a learning experience to have. And how was it coming back? It was equal, equally an equal culture shock. Yeah, I bet back. it was because you're just kind of yeah. one of everybody and yeah. nobody notices anybody new. Right. You're not stopped in the in the post office right. say, hey, how you doing? You're just kind of a number. I can't walk to work. I can't walk to the post office. You know, now I have to, you know, find the nearest post office and drive there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just everyday living is completely different. Did and you so, miss it? I miss the, the more laid back style in some ways. In some ways, it was really hard because yeah. basketball was so big in Metlakatla, and it was a it was a lot. It, I mean, a lot of importance and a lot of um, the community was really in, invested in basketball. And so, when you're the coach, it's hard to go out in public and and just be yourself and just oh, I bet. you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, somebody's always asking you about well, why did you make this decision and why did you? Yeah, because, you know, watching that documentary, Alaska Mm -hmm. Nets, it's like two things, Mm -hmm. fishing and and basketball. And I never knew basketball was so huge in that part of Alaska or in Alaska in general, but that's something they can do inside in the Mm -hmm. winter. And they love their basketball and it brings meaning to the community. It does. It brings people together. Mm -hmm. And, um, it is quite an amazing, again, if you haven't seen that documentary, Alaska Nets, I highly recommend you watch it. So then you're back at, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, mm-hmm. kind of reintegrating where you have yeah. to get in the car to go places. Yeah. And try and reintegrate. But then something else happens and you move again. I did, yeah. So I'm, I met my current husband and, and he was located in the Lansing area, so... Yeah, this is my sixth school year now. Um, 
here back in in this area. So I moved about six years ago um, okay. and married him. <laughs> yeah. So you got married yeah. and you moved to Hazlitt, Michigan, yeah. which is also in the Lansing area. And now in, in process of when you were in Alaska, you got your counseling degree. I did. You are a high school counselor at Perry High School. Yes. Perry, Michigan. Mm-hmm. So before we started this interview, I talked to you a little bit about the differences of what kids had to deal with in mm-hmm. Alaska Versus in 2023, yeah. What are those Perry kids, high school kids? What are what are they? What's their what are their issues as a counselor? What do you see that their, their obstacles are today? Yeah. So I think I, we talked a little bit about it. I I think, and I and I hate to pin everything on COVID or anything like that, but I mean, COVID's been a real catalyst. Um, and I don't think Perry's unique to this. I think a lot of places are struggling with this, just with the mental health of their. Yeah, they're young people. Yeah, um, such as what what depression, anxiety. I think families are struggling. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see similar things that you saw when you were in Alaska as you do in Perry? Um, yes, I'd, I yeah some some similarities and and some some differences too. I think that you know. I think there was depression and anxiety there. I, I don't think I've ever seen it on the levels as right now. And I don't, really? like I said, I don't think that's necessarily unique to Perry. No, I it isn't a lot unique of, to Perry. Yeah. So before the pandemic hit, you were counselor at mm-hmm. Perry. And mm-hmm. now, so you think the levels of depression and anxiety have just skyrocketed yeah. since then? Yes. Is it because kids are having a hard time reintegrating? They don't feel connected or... What is it? I think feeling connected is is very important, and and when you send everybody home, right, you can't leave, right, and you know you're just home, and and you know as a teacher you can get on a Zoom meeting with a student. A lot of times, you know, even the year after the big shutdown, you know, some of our kids were in person. Everyone's masked up. Some of them are online. You know, and if they're on a Zoom meeting, their cameras necessi- aren't necessarily on. There's not that human interaction. Right. So there, there's been an interruption in human interaction. Yeah. And I think that's really, you know, and other things that have upset, you know, possibly families too, you know, impacts on employment for families and, and, and the impacts it's had on on the kids and yeah. things like that. So just the combination of it yeah. all. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, you were so tightly knit. Mm-hmm. And so close to those kids because you had so much contact. Well, you'd leave for days yeah. on a trip mm-hmm. to where now and, you know, during the pandemic starting in 2020, there was no face to face. Yeah. Completely in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And I bet there's kind of a disconnect for you, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. It's hard to teach somebody when you can't interact with yeah, them. Yeah, it is. It's like, oh, are you there? I don't know if you're there. You know, it's right. just, it's, and it's been difficult for teachers too that way. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, completely. And I remember when they, they said that we would still be dealing, this was in 2020, when mm-hmm. there was shut down, that we would still be dealing with effects of the pandemic in 2023. Oh, yeah. It is now 2023. It's crazy. And we are still dealing with yeah. what the pandemic did to these young people. And it also put them behind in the learning curve too, because I've talked to other teachers at different districts, not just, you know, yeah. Lansing area, but mm-hmm. that, you know, kids aren't showing up, yeah. that, you know, accountability, mm-hmm. absences are issue. Yeah. And it really, it, it's tough on those, especially high schoolers. It is. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard to t- have conversations around learning and education as a young person when you don't feel connected and, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk about, 
the hierarchy of needs and when your basic needs aren't being met then yeah and i think that's that's what's happening um and so yeah and then not to mention i know you know your organization and and this podcast is geared around sports too and the interruptions it's had in sports and athletics yep that are so important also to in a different kind of learning (laughs) for kids in education right because one of the things that we talk about in the podcast and also within her name foundation is bringing kids together. Mm-hmm. They're part of something. Kids yep. want to be a part of something. Yes. They want to be important. They want to have value. Yes. And sports does that. It does. And when they shut everything down and took all that away, mm-hmm. what a loss yeah. for a lot of those kids. And it's hard to reel them back in, especially those high schoolers. Yes. Um, for sure. Sports can really do a lot for kids. Mm-hmm. And you've seen that in, in two or three completely different settings. Yes. Alaska, two places mm-hmm. in college, now at the high school level. So as you look at these young people, mm-hmm. do you see yourself in them sometimes of what you can, what, what sports did for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, from a young age. So my mom, my mom got me started in swimming. Um, she was a very good swimmer, and that's kind of my introduction to, to athletics was swimming, and that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So from about 8 years old to about 12, mm-hmm. that's what I did, and it was 5 a.m. workouts at the outdoor pool of MSU, two-a-days, I mean, at a very young age. That's it's a an lot. In, intense sport, Yeah, um, and it taught me hard work. It taught me grit because that's very difficult yeah. for a little, a little girl, um, especially on those. I'm assuming mornings on a cool morning. You have oh to yeah, get in an outdoor pool. Yes, and and so, I mean, from a very young age, and I got into more softball and basketball after that. Kind of broke my mom's heart, but <laughs> <laughs> but those are all lessons, you know, that I've carried with me. Just teamwork, um, hard work, grit, resilience, resilience. right? Yeah, commitment, um, commitment. Yeah, just being able to push yourself when you don't think you can not allowing yourself to go through the motions. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? When mm-hmm. you're really tired, and you're just like, well, I'll just get through a workout today. Yeah. And then you just you've gotten yourself to the point where it's like, you're not going to let yourself do that. And I think you you took that to Alaska, you took <clears throat> that to Western, and now mm-hmm. you're taking that to counseling with these kids at Perry yeah. High School. Yep. Um, yeah, don't feel bad because I couldn't get any of my kids to play tennis. <laughs> Not a one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I did. It's been nice later in life. COVID kind of put a, a, a pause to it. But when I moved back to, from Alaska, I actually was um, training for triathlons with my mom. So that's something wow. her and I did together. So we were in the pool a lot. So it kind of came full circle there. Okay. Too, so very good. Yeah. <laughs> do you still do triathlons today? I haven't done one in a while, but my eventual goal is to at least do, I can't, I can't run another marathon. I can't run that distance anymore. So I think if I could do like an Olympic distance or maybe even a half Ironman, that's that's, that's something I'd like to pretty amazing because so, you're talking yeah. to someone that can't run at all <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So I, I need to do it sooner than later. <laughs> all right. So, you know, we talked about a lot of things and uh, a lot of different places. I think your story is absolutely fascinating. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't talked touched on today? 
you know, I, you know, not necessarily about myself or this stuff, but I had a chance and thank you for sending me um, the link to your uh, website and things like that. I just, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about your organization um, and your foundation um, and kind of the great things you're doing for young people in the mm. Lansing area. So nice. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for sending that to me and kind of introducing. Well, thank you. And thanks me. for being a part of it too, yeah. because um, yeah, this podcast will go out and uh, hopefully we can touch a few more young hearts and open up people's eyes to where everybody has a story. Yes. And, you know, when you complain about something, someone else has something else that, that is concerning to them too. Totally. Because I think especially with teenagers, they're pretty self-focused. Yeah. So I think this, this will be interesting to be them to hear some things about some different places in the country for right. sure. Very good. Okay, so now we're to the part in the podcast. Okay, I'm You're ready. ready. You're ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where I ask, Stephanie, what is your racket? You know, I, I thought about it. At first I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And I, I didn't know, but you know, I'm going to say my work ethic. That's my racket. Um, you know, just kind of what sports has meant to me and kind of where it's taken me in my life. And just, you know, even when people told me, well, you're not good enough or, you know, you, you don't have what it takes. You know, I wasn't always the most talented one on the court, but I just told myself I'm going to outwork everybody, else everybody else. Out there. Yeah. I'm going to just out, you know, if I can outwork everybody, then maybe I'll be good enough kind of thing. And so, and, and, you know, to reach those goals, to be able to play in college and things like that. I mean, that's um, awesome. Yeah. That's our work ethic. There you go. (laughs) Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you in the future. After our interview, I reached out to Stephanie's former coach and colleague, Shane Klipfell. Shane is currently the women's basketball coach at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. And here's what Shane had to say about Stephanie. I first met Stephanie at Eastern Michigan University her freshman year. She helped turn around a program that had 12 losing seasons in a row to four winning seasons in a row. She was named the Mid-American Conference Freshman of the Year and an All-American basketball player her senior year. Stephanie was a pillar of strength for our program beginning to end, poised under pressure, a brilliant student of the game, and a fierce competitor. She made us a better team and those around her better people. Shane went on to say, Stephanie joined our staff at Western Michigan University as her first job back from Alaska, where she continued to be a positive, influential person in the lives of many young people. Well, I can tell you Stephanie's story did not end in Alaska. It continues today in Michigan at Perry High School, where she listens, teaches young people to share their stories drop by drop, tears of joy, tears of heartache, water. Water is what connects us all. We have to have it to survive. Water can wash away many things, even footprints in the sand, but it cannot wash away those footprints etched in the heart. Stephanie Smiley's footprints will leave an impression of the heart in all of us. 
those footprints of poise, grit, confidence, and courage. So to Alaska and back she went, drop by drop, not measured in inches, even 132 inches of rain, Stephanie continues her work that is beyond measure because it is that of the heart. That version of Relaxing Harbor Sounds can be found on YouTube by Calmed by Nature. Again, I'd like to thank Tudor Big, Big Sound and Lighting, for editing and producing this podcast and for providing the original theme music. For more information about In Her Name Foundation, visit our website at inhernamefoundation.org. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our newsletter. Or make a donation. We look forward to meeting all of you again and sharing our next episode of Inspiration. Until then, see you next time, and be prepared to bring your racket.